When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Everything Is Black and White podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Musgrove, and I'm joined by John Gibson. And we're going to look back on the year that was 2021. For most part, for Newcastle United, not a very happy year until around about the October time. can't remember quite what happened then, John. Uh, something happened. I think somebody went out the door and somebody else came in, which was uh, a revolving door we're very grateful for. Yes, of course, the takeover completed in October, October the 7th, and we will get on to that but we have to look back on the year that was 2021 to kind of set up why there was so much relief and celebration that Mike Ashley finally sold the club to the Saudi back consortium but just before we dive in to 2021 because like I said John the start of it, it's not going to be that pleasant because there wasn't really much to celebrate no it was a grim old year we are going to stick with 2022 and the January transfer window because at the time of speaking which is on the 3rd of January just gone quarter past 10 at the time of recording Kieran Trippier looks like he's on the verge of joining Newcastle United. What yep. a signing that would be. Yes, it would. Um, it needs to be one of about six for uh, the impact that all the fans are looking for because this is the month of Newcastle being rescued. We may have been taken over. We may have a new manager. The sports direct signs may be down, etc., etc., but the real test of uh, new owners who have had a rapturous reception from Geordies, if not the rest of the country, the real test is now. Because the big thing with Ashley was that you were going nowhere fast. We've had promises, we've got belief, we've got hope under the new owners, but that has got to materialise. And the way that materialises is from January the 1st to January 31st. So the signings on part and trip here would be absolutely excellent. Quality player, was a good player at Spurs, won La Liga with Atletico um, at a time when you expect Real Madrid and Barcelona to dominate, which was absolutely fabulous. A good, good player, wants to come back to the Premier League, has family in the north, um, so it's a good fit for him and it's certainly a, a good fit for us, but I would want him not to be the only signing and I certainly won't be. One thing that stands out about this deal, I mean, there's quite a, a lot of things that stand out for Newcastle United fans, but the fact that Newcastle United are acting so quickly, because yes. we're used to them not, aren't we? Under Mike Ashley, it was always towards the end of the window, if Correct. at all, Correct. but here we are, Three days in, and Newcastle are well in in talks to sign their first player, not just a player, John. Like you say, quality player, an as England well. player. Um, oh, it's terrific! But of course, we ought to have been, and I'm certain we have been in talks for the last two months. You don't have to start talking on January the first. You start completing deals on January the first. You start talking way not, way before that. And let us. I know I'm being harsh here, but I, I think. You've got to be because we've been anxious for 14 years and we want it to change. Newcastle are about to enter their best run of fixtures for a while, starting after Cambridge with home to Watford. 
The next five games are all winnable. I'm not suggesting for one moment we're going to win all five, but there's points to be collected. So every day that goes by without signing is a waste. It's no good signing mid-January because we want people in to play against Watford. We want people in to play Leeds the following game. We want people in to play now, not eventually. And uh, that's why it's important. Aubameyang, forget him. Has he got the heart for a relegation fight? He's going to spend half his time at the at the African Cup of Nations. When is he going to be available? After all these games have, have gone, when Wilson might be fit again. We need a striker now while Wilson is unfit. We need Trippier now. It's wonderful. But let us get the, the deals done as quick as possible because the one coming up starting a week on Saturday with Watford will be absolutely crucial. And if we get the sort of points I think we can and I think we will, then we'll be a long way towards being saved. But we need help. Yeah, well, you get the feeling the owners are key to get these new additions in as soon as possible. I'm sure Eddie Howe is as well. That leads us, John, into what happened last January with Joe Willick signing and he made an instant impact. Took a bit of a while for Newcastle to get him through the door. But I'd say, arguably, he was the reason Newcastle stayed up because of the run of form and the goals he scored. Yeah, other players he, he was massive to us staying up, yes. You know, big sign, obviously, re-signed in, in the summer. I mean, had you... When was the last time you saw a player go on that run of form? I mean, he equaled Alan Giro's record with the, the seven consecutive goals. Uh, he scored in seven consecutive games. He just had a, a run of form that... Was unbelievable. Yeah. It was absolutely unbelievable. Uh, especially when you consider he's a midfielder. He's not an out... I mean, a run of, of goals per game like he had on a centre-forward would be hugely, hugely impressive. On a young 22-year-old midfielder, absolutely unbelievable. Uh, and it was a huge factor in Newcastle staying up without a shadow of doubt. I've got to add that as impressive as I found him at the end of last season, I found him disappointing at the beginning of this season. Uh, I think he has got to find his way again because he has been... He looked... Snip Newcastle, Steve Bruce spent all his transfer budget on one player because he had scored all these goals. And he hasn't scored a goal since. Now, I'm not just measuring him on goals because he's a midfield player, but he, he's looked as if he's carrying the weight of the world on his shoulders. He's looked as if, tactically, it, the whole team isn't geared to him running relentlessly forward anytime he wants. He's got to be more disciplined now. Um so it's tough, but he is is as wonderful as he made an impact. He's disappointed since, and I guess the form this season shows why Arsenal didn't go out of the way to keep Joe Willock in the summer. They offered him a new deal. We know now, but th there was no guarantee of first team football. And I guess maybe the way he's performed so far this season, you can see why that guarantee wasn't there down at the Emirates. Without a shadow of doubt, have you had a look at the Arsenal team recently? The kids have got they're absolutely magnificent. They'd, if we're brutal, they didn't need Willock. Uh, because they, when you look at, 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 at the young kids in Sacco and everybody they've got, even when they lost the other day, um, they were tr to Man City, they were truly magnificent and they lost on a stupidity of a sending off. Um, 
but they've got wonderful, wonderful kids. Uh, that doesn't make Willock a bad player, and it doesn't make Willock a bad signing for us. It, it just meant that they had other priorities, and, and it wasn't in his position. And you can therefore see why he would push to go. Faced with all the young kids that are emerging uh, at the Emirates, uh, he, he hasn't got a great first-team future guaranteed there, which is why he wanted to wait. The form he showed when he first joined Newcastle, John, I guess Joe kind of is a victim of his own success because he's set the bar so high and that's why we're now looking at him as someone who's underperformed. Absolutely, made a rod for his own back. And I was saying at the time when we were talking about getting him back during the summer, whether that was going to be on loan or permanently, the one thing we can't do is expect him to score goals like that because it was absolutely ridiculous, the number of goals he scored. However, we didn't expect him to score none. That it's the two extremes have been absolutely amazing. He is a young boy, and he is finding his way, and there will be a second wind in him. And I wish him all the very, very best because we need him to be at his best. Uh, if he wants, if he's a January boy, then let him hit his stride in January and then have a good second half of the season and keep us up again. That would be absolutely wonderful. He, he is finding it tough. Um, and I'm a little bit surprised. I didn't think he could do anything like he did last season, but I thought he might do better than he's done. So January, John, was a horrible month for Newcastle United. They just couldn't pick up a win. They lost five, and then they did beat Everton towards the end of the month where Callum Wilson scored a double. It was a really good performance. You'd probably say the best performance under Steve Bruce. And it showed the importance of Callum Wilson because he gave Everton, who were not a bad side at that time, a really, really difficult day. Yeah, that, that was one of the few shafts of light we had around that period. And if you remember, a lot of credit for that was given to the arrival of Graham Jones, who had just joined the coaching staff and tweaked the way Newcastle played. And I think Wilson paid tribute afterwards to the fact that he had benefited from that. What we saw at Everton, apart from a good team performance, was... Uh, the value of Wilson. He is a natural goal scorer. The only one we've got in terms of being natural and being regular and being reliable in terms of goals. The trouble is that we also know that he's injured all the time and we're in that situation now. So, you know, he is a concern all the time, Wilson, because his goals are magnificent. But when you rely on somebody as much as him, he's got to stay fit. Because if he doesn't, where are you? And all of a sudden, he starts this season well, and we're then looking down the barrel of a gun, how long is he going to be out? Yeah, I mean, you go into that February of 2021, and Newcastle played Southampton, and Wilson went off just after the half an hour mark. Then he was out for 56 days, and Newcastle oh. really struggled after that for goals. Didn't return until April the 4th. Yep. huge amount of time. Of course, he's out injured now. And as you mentioned there, it is an issue for Newcastle United because at the moment they have one quality striker, obviously the January transfer, and hopefully they'll go out and sign another quality sure. striker, someone maybe even better than Callum Wilson. It's not going to be cheap to do so, but that injury record is, you know... It's, it's horrendous. Just, yeah. um, it really is. And there's no answer to it because you know... The one guarantee you've got on the opening day of the season is that Callum Wilson is not going to play 38 Premier League games for you. 
he's going to be the first name on the team sheet, but he ain't going to be available. And it, it's such a shame, isn't it? Because you want to see your striker play as many games as possible, and he has the potential to be, a, when he's already shown how good of a number nine he is, Yeah, to see him play most of the games in the season, it would be great to see him do that, play 32, 34 games, and, and have a chance of really getting 20, 25, 30 goals, maybe. No question. And, I mean, that's the ideal world he would like. But, it, but he can't do it. And you regularly have players that suffer because of injuries. Kieran Dyer was one in the, in the past. Uh, I don't know why we signed Michael Owen, because he, with the injuries he got hamstring etc when he left Liverpool he left having left half a yard of pace behind in his locker at Anfield and that half yard was what made him a lethal striker forget his attitude etc etc which I was never really enthralled about I always felt that he wasn't here to make a name for himself for the second time he was here to earn a living Um but he was never the same player after injury. Kieran Dyer was never the same player after injury. Shearer, to his eternal credit, reinvented himself after an injury where he was never quick, but he, he still lost a little of that, but he reinvented his game and kept going and got the Newcastle record, and well done him. But players suffer from injuries, and they don't. once you've lost something, once you're injury-prone, you're injury prone forever for the rest of your career. And that is the situation with Wilson. So that has got to be addressed in this January window because he's now out for a short while and in the summer. Because by all means, be grateful for having him, but don't rely solely on him because you can't. I guess one of the positive things, and there's many positive things about Eddie Howe coming in to manage Newcastle United, is that relationship he has with Callum Wilson. He's dealt with this before because Callum Wilson had a couple of bad injuries at Bournemouth. So, yeah, but he can't make him fit. He no, hasn't he got a magic wand. He can't fix it. But I guess from that personal care kind of, you know, he, can, he he's dealt with him before. So it's good to have that relationship with him, and he'll know how to keep him mentally fit and strong, and you know, get him ready for I, the return. I take the point totally. I take the point totally. But having said that, I think Wilson's very good mentally at, at making himself right, etc., etc. And the one thing Eddie Howe can't do is strengthen his legs. He is injury-prone. It doesn't matter whether he's been with Eddie Howe or not in the past. He is injury-prone. And Eddie Howe can't get him on the pitch when he's physically incapable of going out there. So he is a problem. Whoever, he would be a problem to Pet, uh, Pep Guardiola. He would be a problem to Klopp. He'd be a problem to anybody. He is not fit enough. It is harsh. But what is tragic for us is that he's one of our big, big, big hitters, a blue-chip player. But he's not going to be around often enough. We worry, less of an injury thing, but we worry about some maximum as well, don't we? Because before the end of every game, he seems to collapse on the ground with his arm in the air, waving at the bench for some sort of treatment and limps off as if he's been shot with an air rifle, but it comes back quicker. Um, and these are our two real, real big hitters. If we could get 38 games out of both of them and sign a couple in, we would feel we're definitely going to be safe. But yeah. we're, we are vulnerable. 100%. We'll skip March because there were no wins in March and there was not <laughs> really much to talk about. But there was that 3-0 defeat to Brighton. Yeah. And at any other club, John, 
Steve Bruce probably wouldn't have been in the job at that point anyway because he'd got on that horrible run of form of what was it, two wins in 23, something like that. Correct, two wins in 20 odds, yeah. Yes, he'd yes. obviously he'd won a couple of games and then they'd got on that horrible run in March. The defeat to Brighton, who were also down in the relegation fight, trying to you know get their own survival mm. sorted, it was embarrassing. It, it was three nil, if I remember correct, off them, and we also lost at the beginning of the season three nil up here to them. They they took six points off us and six nil, um, it was and they weren't as good a team then as they are this season, um, because they've made progress. Remember that word, uh, progress. Um, Yes, there's no question at all that under any other situation, Steve Bruce, who could have easily been out of a job before then, would have gone that day. Uh, all his survival told us was that something we already knew, which was actually was totally indifferent to what happened at Newcastle United. He was he already had his bags packed and they were in the front hall waiting for the taxi to come to get him out of town. Um, and so he didn't have the stomach to find a new uh, body or to pay up what was required. He left the sacking to the next lot that came. Was that the most frustrating thing for you, John? That I mean, we already knew Mike Ashley was in that mindset. We, knew, we already knew he would do the bare minimum yeah. to see Newcastle survive in the Premier League. He barely even did that. But I don't know, I think for many people it was an added frustration to see him kind of just sit back and watch Newcastle self-destruct and watch Newcastle being led by a manager, no disrespect to Steve Bruce, who was not good enough, who should not have been in charge come the Everton game. But Mike, actually, like you say, just didn't want to press the button to to eject them. No. And it was it was just, Newcastle was quickly turning into this club that was, well, was barely existing. Yeah, oh, I mean... He was never full of ambition for Newcastle United in the 14 years he'd been there. What he, what he had achieved was two relegations. And every season, bar when we finished fifth top, and what a miracle that was, every season was a relegation fight. And if we managed to survive in the Premier League, we were supposed to be joyful and grateful and it was a wonderful achievement. Nonsense for a club Newcastle size, um, and it was as frustrating as it c could be then. And we didn't have the reassurance then that the Premier League were going to allow the takeover to happen. Uh, it, we looked, it looked pretty much dead at that point. Of course, didn't it? we we were very concerned. He was hanging on to sell, and we were saying, "Well, these guys can't get the deal past the Premier League, so who's he going to sell to?" So it was infuriating at the time um, and Steve Bruce was very lucky to survive two years here but we are still suffering now from the malaise of the terrible twins of Ashley and Bruce because that's why we're in the position we're in now. How much of that do you, the fact Newcastle are deep in a relegation fight now mm. and the defence is shocking yeah, there's there's many issues that Eddie Howe has walked into. How much of that do you place on Steve Bruce, Bruce's shoulders, and how much of that do you place that on Mike Ashley's? You've got to place it on both shoulders, and it may well be fifty-fifty. Bruce was incapable of doing anything about it. He was subservient in terms of defiance. No, I do not want this guy signed. I want that guy signed. He was negative in terms of tactics. I mean, you know, he didn't worry about getting over the halfway line. Well, lucky if we got out the, our own 18-yard box. Um, 
So there was a lot of blame has got to go to Bruce. But Ashley's the overall boss. Ashley can do something about it. Ashley could have got rid of Bruce after Brighton and didn't. Uh, Ashley's height of ambition was to remain in the Premier League and get the financial goodies on offer. That was what he wanted to do for Newcastle. And he felt every two years, if he came out through one of his poodles and said sorry and wasn't challenged on why he was sorry or the mistakes he made. He had the job done, he cleared his conscience, and we will now plough on. Yeah, I mean, we are now seeing the results of a 14 years of under-investment oh, in the facilities and poor transfer decisions or lack of transfer decisions in some windows, and we are now seeing the result of that. And that's why the way these owners and new owners are looking to act this month is so refreshing for Newcastle United fans. You know, we're seeing all these players linked, some are sky high, but to be linked to Kieran Trippier and for it to actually be something, it's, you know, it's not a, a rumour, it's a reality. They're in advance talks, it looks like it's going to happen. You can see the excitement on social media, you can see the excitement when you talk to people in the pub and what have you. It is really great to see and it marks such a contrast to where we were last it summer. It does, And we it will does. get on to last summer because... I think it's a, there's some important points to be made about that window. Um, what we're going to do is we're going to skip kind of towards the end of the season because, like I say, <laughs> it really wasn't the most positive um, of seasons, the 2020-21 season. It did end reasonably well for Newcastle United. They beat Burnley, John. Uh, Alan St. Maximum got a goal there. He was brilliant. They then beat Leicester, which took them to within a point of survival. Callum Wilson got a double that day. Just showed his importance yet again. Yeah, um, and it always will. If you have a centre-forward that's a goal-scorer, he will deliver regularly when available to do so. And we relied, as a team, around last season, we would probably say that it was Callum Wilson, it was Sam Maximum, and it was Dubrovka. With the three blue-chip players that kept going with Willock in the second half of the season after he came on loan. Uh, And they kept us going, and they got Bruce and Ashley out of jail. Uh, There's absolutely no question about that. It's now in a situation whereby this month we've got to get enough players in to keep us up, and I think we will. I think we'll get players in, and I think we'll stay up. And then we've got the real job to do without as much pressure in the summer where we can say to players, we are a Premier League side. At the moment, we are maybe a Premier League side to outsiders that are coming here as players. That We are a Premier League side and go and get quality with time and launch a mid-table and above uh, bash next season. It's so important to have proactive owners because you always felt in the Mike Ashley and Lee Charnley that they felt the squad just wasn't performing well enough the squad was good enough it just wasn't getting the results and it would click eventually it was always this kind of waiting game whereas the owners and Eddie Howe probably has looked at it and gone well you know we're not very good defensively we've got one good striker but he's got injury issues the midfield's lacking a bit of bite we need a bit of creativity you know they're being proactive they're not thinking it's it's it just hasn't clicked and it's that's really refreshing to see. It, it is, it, it is, and it's very necessary. But I mean, even a blind man listen, could could <laughs> see the situation in Newcastle. They've won one game out of nineteen in the Premier League. They've let in forty-two goals in nineteen games. Does that tell you that the fence might not be too canny? 
one win. There's nobody, do you realise, there's nobody had fewer wins in the Premier League than Newcastle, and there's nobody let in more goals than Newcastle. Yeah, 80, the, isn't it? I'm sure it's like 80, at least well, 80. Well, this, season, oh, this which season, is this season, nobody's let in more goals in Newcastle, 42. They, they, I think Norwich are the same, and nobody has had fewer victories. Burnley are like us. We've got one each. It doesn't take a, a rocket scientist to see what's wrong with Newcastle United. Uh, what it takes is vision to put it right. Mm. Well, in 2021, they've conceded, I think, 80 goals. And the last time that happened was 1985, West Brom, John. Mm. So, yeah, that's not a good start. And hopefully they'll bring in some defenders to show... Oh, no, defense. they've got to. Not hopefully, they must. Oh, yes, yeah. Otherwise, we're down. And they will, by the way. But, yes, it's a must. Uh, there were wins against Sheffield United, which saw Newcastle United fans back in. 10,000 lucky souls got to get back into the stadium. Of course, COVID played a massive part in last season and yeah it kept Steve Bruce in the job if I mean, there'd been cra- if there'd been crowds inside James Park he would have been hounded out what, what how big of an asset are Newcastle United fans to Newcastle totally and utterly I think fans are an asset to any football club but to Newcastle United who can get a crowd of 52,000 in St James's Park Newcastle were fractured in the old days over the last 14 years you had fans who were passionately loyal to the club, didn't want to stay away from the club until they were driven out, 10,000 of them or something near the end, loved and adored the club from cradle to grave, hated the manager, did not rate, hated the owner, did not rate the manager, and so it was a, a very uncomfortable situation. We are now Newcastle United, not just in name, we are united completely because all the fans are behind the club, all the fans are behind the owners, all the fans are behind the managers, and therefore they're behind the players. And the atmosphere is wonderful. And they have dragged us, and they did so against Manchester United the last time we were out. They have dragged us over the line with their passion and support because it puts an extra mile in legs it it has adrenaline going. You don't realise how tired you are until you hit the dressing room after the final whistle because the crowd is driving you on. It is the biggest asset we've got. And I've said before, please, please, please do not restrict the crowds or even worse, play behind closed doors any time between now and the end of the season because of COVID. Because if that happens, Newcastle's biggest asset, never mind what might happen in the transfer market elsewhere, Newcastle's biggest asset will be deprived if they don't have the crowd in because they are truly... Mar- the atmosphere against Manchester United was a different class. It was like the old days. It reminded us what Newcastle United are about and what they will be about when ambition seeps through and it becomes obvious to us all during 2022, I hope. Eddie Howe has mentioned that his fears about playing behind closed doors, and as you've said there, because Newcastle fans are such an asset to the club. And we have um, a few end-of-year uh, awards that we'll get onto at the end of the show, and one of them is the best moment, and, and I'll, I'll just say mine now, and we'll get onto yours later, John, but it is the return of War Flags against Spurs. They, they brought out the, the big river banner, absolutely superb. And, and, and since then, the displays have put on have been absolutely brilliant. Like you say, against Manchester United, it was another fantastic 
atmosphere that the flags at the beginning were brilliant as well and they've been a, a massive asset and it's great to see them return um getting back to the end of last season like we mentioned there they, they beat sheffield united they beat fulham Willick scored in that equal Alan Shearer's record, as I previously mentioned, the seven consecutive game he scored. And then we get into the window, John, and everybody seemed to want Joe Willick back. It took uh, it took a long while to get that deal sorted. There was a bit of back and forth. Arsenal, we now know, tried to get him to stop, tried to offer him a new deal, but he wanted to play first-team football. They signed him, a lot of money. I think everyone was happy. I was surprised they actually did that. And then they released this utterly bizarre statement which just summed up Newcastle United for me and Mike Ashley where they basically said we broke our own rules in terms of you know structuring deals and what <laughs> have you and the pressure and I think this has actually played a part in why Joe Willick's not hit the heights yet that put on him because basically it was we've spent all the money on you Joe there was no money to get anybody else in people aren't happy but that's what happened go and deal with it yeah, uh, but you've got to look. You look at Ashley, and he would say that smugly. He he would have said to to uh, Bush, "You've got twenty six million, and that's your whack. Spend it on one guy, spend it on ten guys, get five free transfers, do what you like, but that's your whack." But you've got to look at. Was that shrewd man management by Bush uh, in in? limiting Newcastle to one 22-year-old in the summer, uh, was it shrewd? We know it wasn't shrewd by Ashley because we know he didn't care. But if Bush was trying to save his his job in his Newcastle future, as you say, it's a heck of a, a lot of pressure to put on a kid. Uh, and a kid that you knew was never going to have the return of the previous season because that happens once in a lifetime. The great midfielders... Terry McDermott upwards, Will Naldium, etc., etc. The goal scorers cannot score as regularly as Joe did for us last season. Um, but it, it was bad man management again, and we've had that uh, for so long. But I mean, you know, uh, Steve Bruce made it obvious when he came to Newcastle, and I'm greatly saddened by what happened with Steve Bruce here because he, he had been a pal of mine and I would have loved him to have been a success, but I never believed from day one that he could be a success and I thought it was the wrong appointment and was brave enough, I guess, to say so at the time because it obviously spelt the end of a friendship between me and Steve Bruce. But you've got to tell it the way you see it. And it, it, he was a magnificent player that wasn't as good a manager as he was a player and it wasn't going to happen for him at Newcastle. And he let too many things occur that he ought not to have done. Well, I was, I was going to ask you, because you look back on that window and I think for the first time you saw Steve Bruce getting frustrated at the situation. I think what Rafa Benitez did very, very well, I know we're going back a little bit, he aired it. You know, He played that game where he made yep. it clear he wanted this, the owners didn't agree, and in the end, obviously, that cost that relationship and he walked away. Where Steve Bruce didn't do that, he was... Was that, was that his biggest mistake, you think? Oh, there was that many. You, you, you would take uh, a couple hours to go through all the mistakes because there was a lot. The biggest mistake with, from the fan point of view, they looked at him and they thought, this guy is not going to fight our corner. He is not going to take on 
an owner who was despised and said this is not good enough for a club like Newcastle United. The fans didn't want to be told Steve Bush was a Jody. didn't want to be told he was a supporter like them on the terraces as a kid. Didn't want to be told any of that. They wanted somebody to come in that would fight their corner and get the jobs done. And it doesn't matter whether you're a Geordie or not. Um, Kevin Keegan wasn't a Geordie. Joe Harvey wasn't a Geordie. Uh, Bobby Robson was. But it doesn't make any difference. It's a matter of whether you're a success or you're not a success. And a lot of, ma of management is about courage. Um, and you must have courage whether it's to take on the owner to make tough decisions that aren't going to be liked etc etc and there's few people got that we got the feeling pretty early on that he wasn't going to leave that summer Mike Ashley as we've mentioned couldn't be bothered to to, to pull the, the, the ejection trigger um, it was a frustrating summer because all the things we're now talking about this January where the new owners look like they're going to go out and fix are issues that were highlighted back in the of summer and, and before that we, we know Steve Bruce wanted to sign an athletic defender he wanted Asia that ended up at, at Brentford that didn't happen you know we know he, he would like to have gone out and signed someone to, to, to compete with Callum Wilson it didn't happen and it's frustrating but it goes back to what we said earlier John where we are now seeing the direct impact of 14 years of Mike Ashley into the season it obviously it, it didn't start very well at all for Steve Bruce five defeats out of the the eight that he that he managed, and I think it ju it just felt like Newcastle won the road to nowhere because at that point the takeover was was pretty much everyone felt it wasn't going to happen. Mike Ashley clearly wasn't going to invest to 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 take the club forward. He would argue that you know he did do that, but you know you look at the the signs they made over the years wasn't the case, and it just felt like Newcastle were just limping on from one disaster to another, and I do actually think. The the key difference was that a lot of people actually felt Newcastle were uh, favourites to, to maybe go down on a Steve Bruce. Oh, uh, I think that's absolutely true. And we're still fighting the good fight now because of the wasted opportunities of last summer. Uh, and because what also happened a lot that infuriated me was that it was apparent under Ashley that he wasn't going to go out and spend a few million on individuals to, f to fill holes. He would rather off the manager offered a new contract to somebody that was up there than have to spend six million to get a replacement. Consequently, all this defence were virtually given new contracts they were all well past the sell-by date. The majority of them had played for us in the championship. They were given new contracts. Why, 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 why? The answer is because to replace each one of them at Premier League level would have cost six or seven million for each one. And therefore we'll not do that. We'll give them a new contract. So we're stuck with the same old players and consequently 42 goals have been leaked in 19 games. Are we surprised? No, we're not. Are we furious? Yes, we are. I mean, at the start of the season, it's continued, I mean, up until, until now, really. But goodness me, the defence has been absolutely shocking. We've talked about it quite a few times on the Everything is Back on My podcast, and we're both equally as frustrated as I'm sure you are listening and watching Newcastle United because the defence is just 
for, for Steve Bruce and what he was as a player, one of the finest centre-backs this country's ever produced, not to be able to, you know, at least keep Newcastle half decent at the back, it does it does b- b- bemuse me somewhat. And I know he's kind of he was kind of stuck with the ability of them players, and obviously they've got an old and the last centre back sign was Fabian Shaw back in August eighteen, which is which is mind blowing as well. But the defence, John, that is really oh. Eddie Howe's now Howe's biggest issue, isn't it? It is, um, and the supply. Eddie Howe's a front foot coach, and that is a few people have made a sort of reference to that. That he he's always encouraged his Bournemouth sides to attack, and they've let in more than a few goals defensively, etc., etc. But you would think that that Steve Bruce, as a centre half, brought up at Manchester United, that he would be able to tactically organise Newcastle. In the way that Rafa Benitez did. If Rafa Benitez has any critics, and rightly so, that that he's not adventurous enough. His sides are not adventurous enough. And that is fair comment. But he he does generally know how to lock a back door. Now, you would think that Bruce, with his pedigree, would as well. But it was Steve Bruce, may I remind you, that said that he didn't like tactics, that he wasn't bothered about tactics. It wasn't about tactics, it was about players. Well, I'm sorry, these days, a clever tactician will rip you apart if you have that attitude and your team shows it. And Newcastle defensively just didn't stand still. They've got worse. They've gone backwards. And that has been absolutely frightening because you don't win games and collect points if you're leaking at the back in the way we are leaking at the back. What is it? One clean sheet all season? This season I'm talking about. 42 goals let in. Um, Funnily enough, the best the defence looked was the last time they were out against Manchester United. They did look excellent. When we had a balanced side out. And why did they look better? Well, for a start, we had two full-backs who were full-backs and therefore could have a semblance of defending instead of two wingers playing at full-back who have no job. Bless them. I feel so sorry for Richie and for Murphy because playing there, they're ruining their careers because defensively... I mean, when we let Foy in the game before that, was it Man City at home? I mean, two of them come with balls played to the back post where Richie was supposed to be defending and he'd gone walkabout because he's a winger. Um, So we have suffered badly by square pegs and round holes. Um, And we were a much better balanced team against Manchester United. And that has given me some hope. And that has given fans some hope. And the fixture list that's coming up has given us hope. And the transfer market is give us hope. So there is genuine hope there for us that the second half of the season will be so much better than the first half has been. Yes, lots of things hopefully to look forward to. Going back to September, John Newcastle drew 1-1 with Leeds United, then 1-1 with Watford. And then they lost 2-1 to Wolves. And that was the game. It had been building the kind of apathy where fans were at the point now where... They weren't really caring. Like, you know, Newcastle lost, right? They've lost because they just felt there was no decisiveness in the in the boardroom. Mike Ashley didn't care. Steve Bruce was going to remain in charge no matter what. And <laughs> the feeling 
for after that Wolves game compared to the feeling in the next game, which was against Tottenham at home, the takeover had been complete. Was it's something you couldn't write? I mean, you just like to kind of bottle the contrasting feelings and see the you know the difference in them because everyone was just sick to the back teeth of the, the club totally, they love totally. after the Wolves into the game against Spurs and it was party time. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Andrew. I think the big difference is we could have all predicted it would be like that. We knew how horrible it was under Ashley. We knew that if you take one thing away from fans, which is hope, it's not a matter of winning something. It's a matter of hope that we can. And that hope was taken away from Newcastle and Ashley. And so we were devoid and were as flat as a pancake. Once he walked out the door, that hope came back. And it changed. What staggered me was not the change from one match to another. What staggered me was how quickly the takeover suddenly came through. It staggered me. It was wonderful. It was like... Where did that Just come from? Taking the fingers, Where wasn't it? did that come from? All of a sudden, we're celebrating and everybody's singing and dancing out to St. James's Park as if we'd won something and we hadn't even played. I've never seen anything. I mean, to be oh. there was just one of the highlights of my journalistic career. And obviously, a Newcastle fan, it was brilliant to be able to, to be part of that as well. It was something which I'll be talking about for many, many years because... The, the atmosphere was hopefully just... you, hopefully you won't because you'll be talking well, about talking Newcastle about, winning yeah, things win, because yes, you're, yes. you're a young lad you'll be talking about when <laughs> Newcastle won things hopefully so that will be but I know exactly what you mean and that was quite a, a wonderful moment and that was the, the moment for me rather than I could have predicted how bad Wolves was going to be and I could have predicted how good Spurs was going to be because of what had happened the fact that it happened at that time was the staggering thing because out of nowhere something that seemed absolutely dead in the water was suddenly completed oh it's not just gonna go through it's gone through do you um, think the new owners were maybe caught out a little bit by the speed of it i think the new owners had worked behind the scenes towards this very very harsh and relentlessly and if we can thank Ashley for one thing, it is that he puts tanks on loans when he wants something to happen. And uh, he made certainly put tanks on Freddie Shepard's loan when he was coming into Newcastle United. And he made certain that the tanks were on the Premier League's loan when he wanted out of Newcastle United. He is a fierce Rockweiler of a fighter when it's, he's fighting his own corner. And he... Without, let's be truthful, without him wanting to get out of Newcastle, it wouldn't have, he rattled a lot of cages for his own sake, not for our sake, but without we were quite happy to see it. The new, these owners, because you know, he did have other groups come come to him and wanted uh, to buy he, Newcastle, but he stuck by them. Because they had the most money and was, were definitely going to be able to give him it in one lump, and uh, let's stick with that. Yes, and of course, they did pay, they did pay for the full thing in, in, in one whole yeah, uh, lump sum. Yeah, Manor Staveley's gone on record several times that just a few days ago again thanking Mike Ashley for for sticking by the the, the group and the deal and getting it, helping to get it to get it through. Do you think that might have been self-serving a little <laughs> bit? Huh? Well, you, the, the one thing you mentioned there is Mike Ashley parking at the tanks, and everybody was looking toward this January, and it would have actually been scheduled to start tomorrow the 4th of January, and the arbitration. That's what everyone was looking forward to. Sure. Or the cat case. I can't remember which legal case it was. One of the legal cases anyway. 
And I think it was probably the Kakis, actually. But everyone was looking forward to that. I think that aired in, what was it, maybe September, was it? Yeah. The start of, yeah, it would have been the, the September, the, the, the preliminary hearing aired, and everyone was then looking forward to this date it would begin. There was confidence from some. There was, oh, here we go again. It's going to get dragged out. At that point, John, when that first hearing went, I was just, I just wanted it done and dusted either way. If it, someone had said, no, it's not going to happen, move on, that, that would have been fine for me because I was sick of just this constant kind of up yeah. and down and the, the little bits of hope. And like you said, it, it's eventually happened. But it just summed up where people were with Mike Ashes and Newcastle United, that they weren't looking forward to the next game coming. They weren't looking forward to playing whoever. They weren't looking forward to the January transfer no. window. They were looking forward to a legal case in which it was down to lawyers and solicitors and not Mike Ashley and not Steve Bruce to, to get the result. Meanwhile, we were being told by the rest of the world and all the pundits in this country how grateful we ought to be to have Ashley because it could be a damn sight worse. I mean, were we sick of that? We're now told, of course, by the same people that it's an absolute disgrace the owners we've got now for moral reasons, etc. I mean, we are at the stage of life where we don't care what people are saying out there. Why should we be grateful for Ashley? Why should we have ashes uh, now, uh, uh, sackcloth and ashes now, etc., etc.? Give us an even break. We, we've deserved it. And I go back to saying uh, 27, 55 and 69. I don't have to elaborate on those three sets of figures because it's the last time we won things. Um, and that's an awful long time to wait. And maybe the younger generation, who I felt, we're never going to see Newcastle win something the way life was going. Now are. Yeah. Um, can you quite believe it's happened? Oh, I can now. Uh, I found it difficult the night uh, that we knew it was happening. Um, because I'm a cynical old so-and-so, I haven't been around for so long and, I, and had so many downers with Newcastle and a very occasional upper, uh, I'm rather anxious to see us move on and clinch it it's happened it's wonderful we've got a new manager we haven't got the director of football now but let's save our premier league status now and then move on to things happen let us be positive let us see how grateful and how thrilled we are by getting people through the door and i know it's only january the third and it will happen this this month but it's got to, and it is a difficult month, Andrew. Games are coming thick and fast. Whoever you sign now, you sign somebody in the summer, not at the end of summer like Ashley did, you sign somebody in the summer, they've got all pre-season training and all pre-season matches to blend into a Newcastle team to get to know the guys that were already here and to be ready for the first day of the season. You come now, we'll, we'll play Watford, in seven days later, we'll play Leeds. And after that, we'll play them. And after that, we'll play them. It And it's got to happen instantly. You get six players and they've got to fit into a side. Six, You know, it, it it is incredible. And there's a lot of hard work and good fortune that's needed to make... I doubt if anybody has had the turnover in January that Newcastle, any club, that Newcastle might have this January, because there's not normally huge turnovers in January. No, and the, the need to hit the ground running is even more pressing because Newcastle haven't got Callum Wilson. He might be out for a month, six weeks, two months. We don't know at this moment yet. 
But it's also pressing because of who we're playing. We're playing yes. winnable games. If we were playing Liverpool away and Man City away, they say, well, they can bet in, we might lose 2 1 instead of 6 1, but they can bet in and then when the points. The points games are coming up. The next two in the league are Watford and Leeds. They, I mean, you know, you won six points. Never mind what Leeds just did to Burnley. They're it's quite capable of imploding as they are of producing a performance like that. You've got to get points from these games and not like, oh, we'll be all right when they settle in. And as you say, you've got to do it without Wilson. Mm. And I guess if you bring in, like, you bring in a midfielder, you've got. Joe Willick, John Joe Shelby, Sean Longstaff, Joe Linton now who we will get on to. All performing reasonably well. I know we've spoken about Joe Willick and how he needs to up it slightly, but it's not necessarily as important for a midfielder to, to hit the ground running straight away. We'd all love it. But you look up front and Newcastle haven't got anyone. They've got Dwight Gale, who, you know, bless him, he hasn't featured at all really. I think it's 28 minutes he's had or something like that. You know, there's a real press in nature to get somebody in who can score goals and they're going to have no time whatsoever to Not be allowed to settle. They need to come in and hopefully be in against Watford and, and be, you know, willing and, and, and able to, to, to score goals, which is, it's a massive, it's a massive task to find that person. First and foremost, it's going to be a massive price to get them here. And it's a massive responsibility on the shoulders of that, whoever it's going to be to be able to settle and hit the ground running. And equally, despite the performance against Man United, we better get some people at the back who can shut the door as well, uh, because otherwise we don't want a Newcastle two, Watford four. Yeah. We've got to have the back closed as well as score goals at the front. We're about to see just how uh, much quality really costs, aren't we? And if we're about to see just how much money really matters in this in this January transfer window. Um, on to then that Spurs game, John, and it was it was a, it was a bit of a, a strange one because Steve Bruce remained in charge a lot of people expected him to go the owners came out and said he will be in it was his thousandth game and the atmosphere before was brilliant war flags came back which was brilliant to see a really nice uh, big river but as we mentioned there was tears in the, in the stands the the new chairman was introduced and i think people you know i saw grown men and women really bawling their eyes out because it's just that sense of relief you know this has mm. really happened they started the game really well. Callum Wilson got a goal within the first few minutes. Things then didn't go quite to plan. And Steve Bruce being on the touchline probably didn't help that. Oh, I, I don't think it helped one iota because there he was. And he's, he's there for all to see. He's standing on the touchline in front of the dugout, walking up and down. I don't think it helped one iota. But we couldn't expect... I'm talking about the game after, after Bruce went... It's not all going to click just because you've removed Bruce and you've removed Ashley because nothing had changed on the pitch. Exactly the same guys that had got into the trouble that we were in originally were there to try to get us out. Yes, it can be organised better. Yes, tactically things can happen. Yes, House had a great input on <coughs> Joe Linton and a great input on Shelby to a certain extent. But closing the back door is still a problem. Scoring up front without Wilson is still a problem. That can only be uh, solved now, in January. Um, so it was always going to... I mean, what was happening in those early days, Andrew, the best atmosphere, the best thing was the hour before kickoff. Yeah. 
and taken up to the teams coming out as well because the atmosphere in the whole place was absolutely marvellous. Reality set in pretty quick in those early home games because the reality was that we weren't going to be punching the same weight as the opposition. And then Steve Bruce finally left Newcastle United and then we got on to the search for a new manager. Lots of names were, 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 were shouted about. It ended up being Eddie Howe, of course, in the end. But we do have to just briefly mention the Unai Emery situation because there was a lot of feeling that he was going to be Newcastle United manager. It, it oh, it was his to have. Yes. And I guess that in a way, and, you know, I thought it was really refreshing when a man of Stavely had a conversation and an interview with the Newcastle United website. I think it was the, she, it must have been filmed, I think maybe the day Eddie Howe got unveiled. And she mentioned about mistakes and about how they're going to make mistakes, but they will do their best to learn from them and learn from them quickly. And the way they handle that situation, I think is probably an example of, of, of a mistake. You know, certain people were talking when maybe they shouldn't have been. But we look at the January window and you look at the Kieran Trippier situation, for example, you know, there's not that, that same kind of the talk. You know, yes, you know, we all we all understand he's probably going to be a Newcastle United player sooner rather than later. But I think, you know, the, whoever was speaking before maybe isn't speaking as much and that's a good thing going forward and it looks like people have learned. They're bound, they're bound to make a mistake. Any owner of a football club is going to make mistakes because however astute a businessman or woman he or she may be, they have never had to make football decisions and and they're different and they're made in the public eye and they're scrutinized in that either immediately accepted or ridiculed you don't get that if you're running a, a huge consortium in everyday life what you do is done in private this is done in public and people will bite and gnaw away at the bones of every decision you make it is hugely different and mistakes will be made the secret is to try to get yourself surrounded by the right people that have got your ear and will give sound advice yes there was mistakes made unquestionably on the everything where too much was leaked what the consortium had done and they were very anxious to learn from the mistakes of Ashley because they were very aware of how hated the previous owner was and they did not want to be seen publicly to go down the same path and make the same mistakes because you're not going to keep the crowd on side by doing that. And they realised that one of the things Ashley was horrendous at was communications with the fans through the media because that is the way to the fans nine-tenths of the time. And they wished to keep the media on side and the fans on side by letting people know what was happening or what they were trying to happen. And too much, unfortunately, was leaked. And this is me talking against, as a journalist, talking against too much comes out. But it, it, for the good of Newcastle United, the Emery thing... There was too many leakages, and if they don't come to fruition, if it doesn't happen, it looks awful. And that looked awful because he come out and said some things that made Newcastle look unprofessional. But we quickly went, got how, and then that's put to bed and we get on with it. Um, Happy with the appointment? He was never my number one choice. Uh, I've got to say that. But I think he's come in and 
he's done well. Um, he talks well. He talks sensibly. He has realised, they've all realised, he's realised what the fans are about. And he realised that Bruce didn't have a relationship with the fans. But he realised that Rafa did. And he realised one of the things Rafa did was at the end of matches when Newcastle have done well, he went out and applauded the four sides of the crowd on the final whistle. Eddie Howe never did that at Bournemouth. He's doing it all the time at Newcastle United because he, he, he knows the difference. And they know who would want to go down the same road as Ashley and Bruce went down. But they're wanting to love you. The fans want to love you. So give them something and they'll feed back 10 times. You'll well, get 10 times as much back. Obviously, he's only won one game. And it was against Burnley. Yep. Very important win. Yep. There have been improvements going forward. And then we've mentioned there against Manchester United, which was a brilliant performance. They should have won that game. Defensively, they were they were very, very good. The best defensive performance we've seen at Newcastle United in a very long time. And on the pitch, John, are you just... Are you just I mean, obviously, it's, it's going to be impacted by who comes in this January. Of course it is. But there are signs of hope there. Oh, I mean, as we sit here today... The signs of, of hope are huge because um, the, the great thing is that when we had all those bad games against Leicester and Liverpool and Man City and Man United, bad run of games, we knew we weren't going to get points there. We ended up three defeats in one draw, one point out of four, eight, 12. Uh, so we knew we weren't going to get points there. So what we needed to do was stay in touch with the pack so that we didn't suffer. And by the time January come, with the window opening and with a better run of fixtures, we weren't detached. We've managed to do that. Why have we done that? Because all those at the bottom, when you're at the bottom, you know, you lose regularly. In the half, Norwich have done that. Watford have done that Burnley's done that uh, and so we're still in touch we're into January we're still in touch we've got a transfer window open and we've got a good run of fixtures starting a week on Saturday all those things give us hope um, I mean I would say at the moment with Leeds having won that game against Burnley I would say three out of four go down and I believe that we will be the one that escapes and that the three that go down will be Norwich, Burnley and Watford. Fingers crossed Newcastle United do escape. Just getting back to the, to the ownership, John, it's been so important and so brilliant to see the way they've communicated with fans, whether it be by statements on the website. We saw uh, a New Year's message from Amanda Stavely and her husband. We've seen on Christmas Day video messages from Jim Rubin and again Amanda Stavely and her husband. We've seen interviews, not too many interviews, but enough to keep people happy, which is really important because, like you mentioned there, the communication to Mike Ashley was, was shocking. Uh, the communication from Lee Charnley was, 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 was shocking as well. And all fans have wanted, really, uh, obviously they've wanted a plan, they've wanted am ambition, but I'd say right up there, maybe more important than the, the, you know winning things in, in, in a strange kind of way, is they've wanted to feel part of their club. They've wanted to feel like they know what is going on without knowing the the real details, you know, the the, the financial details and all that yeah. that you can't disclose. <laughs> but they just wanted that communication from from the ownership and to feel like their club means as much to them as it does to to you know to to, to, to those fans. Oh, there's no question about that. I mean, the lack of communication from Ashley 
was one of his major, major, major downfalls throughout his 14 years here. He just treat the fans with contempt. Now, if you own Harrods, you don't treat everybody that walks into the shop with disdain. But, but he did that with people that were walking into St. James's Park, and that's unforgivable. Um, and it is so, so wrong, and that has been corrected. Um, and there is a line of communication between the owners and the fans, and, and that is wonderful. And you know what? It's not just necessary for fans, it's necessary for the owners, and I think they've realised that. If they want to keep their customers, using the word loosely, because I hate that word for football fans, but the guys that pay the money to come into the store... St James's Park. If they they've got to keep them on side to have any chance, and that's elementary. It's as elementary as Newcastle need defenders and need somebody to score goals. It's as obvious as that, and and they have corrected that, and that is a huge huge relief. And I do think if we can get this right in January, and I'm talking about signings and points returns from these decent games if we can get this right in january and stay up then the future is bright i'm not suggesting it isn't bright if we go down but it knocks it back a year mm. minimum of a year so we don't want that of course i mean you've got uh Miad on social media so he's interacting with fans jimmy rubin too jimmy rubin at the food bank you've had sports direct science coming down the windows being cleaned all these little things you know that's it just meant so much to, to Newcastle United fans, just yeah. the upkeep of the stadium. And it's just been really, really good to see that they, they get how important St. James's Park is to Newcastle. And, and it should should be. It should have been to Mike Ashley. This brilliant stadium on top of the hill. The, you know, you come in over the bridges and you see it there. dominates the skyline. And it, that is one of the things that baffles me more than anything, really, is just really the lack of disrespect shown to what should have been well, what is Newcastle United fans of the cathedral on the hill? Oh, and also the disrespect shown to, I believe, the best fans in the country. Yeah. Because we've won nothing since 1969 and we're still as passionate as it's possible to be. It's easy to support Manchester United when Ferguson was there, which the Pawn Sandwich Brigade did. It's easy to support Liverpool now and Man City because you've got encouragement everywhere you turn. Um, it's not easy to support Newcastle United because you're not even given crumbs. There's no food at all. It's not crumbs falling from the table. Nothing is. And and therefore, it has been a tough, tough, hard slog. And if ever fans have deserved to be shown respect and to be rewarded with something tangible, it's these fans. They're now getting shown respect let's go on and give them something tangible that can be put on top of the, the mantelpiece. So before we finish with the end of year awards, John, can you cast United survive the drop? Yes, and I believe they will. Fingers crossed. As simple as that, we will now dive into the end of year awards. I'm going to start, John, with the man who needs room or who has got room for improvement. Yeah. Well, uh, as we're sitting here now, I would say that's Joe Willock because um, he is going to suffer from the contrast with last season. Of course he is because he beat Alan Shearer. Anybody that beats an Alan Shearer goal-scoring record has done terrific, mind. 
But this season, not just the fact that his goals have dried up absolutely completely, but he looks a lost soul. He looks his body language isn't good. He's not even managing to be automatic in the side. Forget about COVID now. Before before that, uh, the mo the player with most room for improvement. And by the way, you could almost name half a dozen, but would for me would be Joe Willock. Now the surprise package. Yeah, I'm, I'm. I think we know who we're both going to pick. Yeah. Well, I'm going to pick Joe Linton. I thought you might. Uh, because I mean, could we instead of surprise, could we use amazement or <laughs> unbelievable or whatever you want to use? Um, and I give him total respect and total round of applause because his attitude is first class. Uh, he is putting in the greatest shift of anyone on the field in terms of blood and sweat. And make no mistake, it is down to a change of position. I do not apologise for what I said about Joe Linton as a number nine. He will remain one of the most disastrous number nines I've ever seen, and considering that he I've ever seen at Newcastle, and considering he costs twice as much as absolutely anyone else tells you everything. Club record fee. Not his fault that he was picked to play centre-forward and give him the number nine shirt. What a disaster that was. The change of position, the subtle change of position to where he is playing 15, 20 yards further back. Most of the game is now in front of him. He has been given immense confidence by Eddie Howe. He's using his physicality. He was the biggest guy I knew that could be blown over by, by some wind uh, whipping across the pitch. Now he is battling people in midfield like Patrick Vieira. Um, so the change is enormous and it's wonderful to see. I think it's been really key to see him put in those performances against Manchester City and against Manchester United because it's shown he can now do it against sure. the best teams. Whereas before he do it, you know, he had a decent game against Brentford. I know he wasn't quite in that defensive role, but he had a good performance against him. Then it was Arsenal, and he, we all thought, oh, he's, you know, it was a one-game thing, and he's back to himself. Yeah. But to see him put in these performances against top, top players, you know, Man City, the best side in, in, the, in the league, unbelievable, brilliant to see. And, yeah, but I mean, I'm running out of things to say about him because... I'd, he's just been unbelievable and I'm so happy for him as well yeah and I think the, the, the thing that is probably pleased fans more than most and there will always be cynics there eh, because of the way he started and they will always point to his goals record which is so horrendous even though he's playing a bit deeper now and say, but you can look at Almiron's goals record you can look at San Maximum's goals record and nobody bar Wilson goals per game record is good enough um, <clears throat> but the wonderful thing for me and I think for supporters is his attitude his determination his physical use of broad shoulders I've loved the aggression yeah uh, which often did not exist when he got anywhere near not just the six yard box but the 18 yard box uh, you know he was as weak as water and his, his aggression now his attitude <coughs> his ability in the air both defensive headers and attacking headers on set pieces uh, he's done terrific and um well done him. 
And what what is interesting to see as well is that if you'd asked someone six months ago when the takeover was was completed, look to January, right? Which players currently in the Newcastle United squad are going to just well, you know, you'd like to see them go? They don't have a, a lot of people would have said Joe Linton oh. can, can can leave in January, but now a lot of people on social media are saying, well, actually. He's probably the first name on the team sheet alongside Anson Maximum, Cal Wilson. He's, if he's oh, I think that is absolutely true. A lot of people wanted him out in January, but wouldn't have got him out because who would pay the money? Built on his goal-scoring record as a number nine. Nobody. Uh, now, as you say, he's one of the first names on the, on the team sheet and understandably so, and that is a big plus because that has saved Newcastle money this January. Because they, they, they would have needed to buy a midfield player that does what he does. But they've got him now. So that that's terrific. On to the best performer. I'm actually going to put Joe Linton forward for that as well. Because I think we've had players, Joe Willock, who did really well when he first came in. But he hasn't done it this season. And, you know, we've had Alan at Maxman. We're not yet to really see the best of him. Callum Wilson as well. So I'm going to go Joe Linton because I think everyone who's performed well hasn't done it over the last 12 months. They've either done it the first six or the last six months. So I'm going to go for Joe Linton again. What about yourself? I'm going to go for Sun Maximum because, and the reason for that being is that when I have looked at a Newcastle United side, not just in the last 12 months, not just in the last 12 years, but in the whole of my time I've been covering them, which is 55 years, and supporting them from the cradle. I've always looked, admired, and wanted to pay my shilling to be entertained. I wanted to get my bum off the seat, and not just to walk out to the ground at the end of an hour and a half in despair, but because of something I saw that was done in my name. Wow. The wow factor. And I've had it all my life from Jackie Milburn to Supermark to Peter Beardsley to Les Ferdinand to Ginola to Philip Albert. You can go through them all. And this guy can do that. He'll do a lot of things wrong. He'll frustrate. He'll run with his head down. He'll not see the, the overall picture all of the time. He will be frustrating. He'll be a walking sick note, always ready to put his hand in the air. But I tell you what, when he gets that ball and turns, he can go past people in the way no other player, and I include Callum Wilson, and I include Willock, who gets on the in his good days, gets on the end of things, doesn't go past people with the ball at his feet, and I include Joe Linton. He can excite. He is, if you were coming to St. James's Park and your defender you'll not want Sun Maximum to run at you. You'll accept that Joe Linton will, that Wilson will, that Willock might come from deep and do it, that, that the one guy you don't want running at you at pace is Sun Maximum. <coughs> and so for the moments that he's given me that have lifted me out of the seat, I would have to go with him. <coughs> he won the fans' football of the year for Newcastle United. There was a, a vote on Connick Lads, Cody Kane, St Maximum for the second year running. I was awarded that accolade. To finish off, John, the best moments, plenty. I, I, I probably suspect, like me, you might go for one off the pitch rather than, than on it. We've had the return of, like I said, of war flags. The moment the new chairman and owners were introduced at the Spurs game was, was absolutely brilliant. 
the 7th of October, the atmosphere outside, so, you know, Sam Fender turning up with his saxophone player, all that was, was brilliant. It's hard to really pick a moment. I'm going to say the the feeling after Newcastle beat Burnley, actually, was, was, was something special in amongst the, the fans. I was up in the guards, and, and it was a real party atmosphere. To, it, it was a sense of relief. You saw the players getting down on at the knees, you know, after working really hard to get that win, and the atmosphere in town afterwards was brilliant to see. So, yeah, I might go for that. The, the kind of atmosphere after that Burnley game for me was one of the best moments so far. Yeah, uh, yeah, I can thoroughly understand that. Uh, the best moment for me, you know, was off the park, was seeing Ashley's exhaust pipe disappearing well, over course, the Tyne yeah. Bridge um, because that gave me more hope than any single thing. And very shortly after that, seeing Steve Busco as well. But in fairness... That was going to be inevitable. If Ashley went, Bruce was going to go. It was only a matter of time. So uh, I think Ashley disappearing over the time bridge um, because we knew what that would mean. We knew that would mean a change in manager. We knew it would mean the Sports Direct signs down. We knew it would mean fresh hope, etc., etc. So the biggest single thing in the last 12 months for me would be that. If I had a talk on the field, the most obvious one, for me to say to you, because we're talking about this season, last season's history, this season's still happening, uh, would be Burnley because it's the only win. It's the only win we've had. It was tense. It was difficult. It was doer. I mean, you know, if you love flamboyance, if I talk about some maximum, if I talk about the entertainers, if I talk about uh, Supermac, etc., uh, etc., et then beating Burnley is like watching paint dry. Whether you, because it's one nil every game, either to them, to us, or whatever. And I, I was just so grateful for it. But it wasn't a spectacle. No, the game was awful. The game was dreadful. <laughs> but we knew before you went, it was Newcastle v Burnley. When was the last Newcastle v Burnley classic? I mean, it, they, they just aren't. It's doer. The ball comes off on a stretcher. It's that bruised after Newcastle have played Burnley. Uh, the result made that game. But the performance, you know, the last one, Man United, is the one that gave me hope. It gave me hope, not only because it's the last one, but it is the best we've played. It is the best we've been organised. It's the best discipline we've shown. It's the best we've kept with shape. It, it, it the ability. I was actually excited by things we did in that game, and it's been a heck of a long time since I've been excited. And we did not get what we deserved. We deserved to win that game. It was a scruffy goal that they got. I mean. And everybody says how poor Manchester United... Outsiders, not Newcastle. How poor Manchester United were that day. Yeah, they weren't the old Manchester United. But if you look at the names on the sheet that day, and maybe it's the way we played had something to do with their lack of ability to play. But I looked at Bruno Fernandes. He wanted his backside slapped. It was like the world order me living. Why is this not working for us? Why? I looked at... Cristiano Ronaldo, he looked all of his 37 years on the game up here. He ought to have not see, seen the final whistle because he ought to have been red-carded and sent off. We played great. All right? It always tempered for us. And Callum Wilson's injury, and we didn't know how bad San Maximum was injured, that was there to 
concern us and the fact we didn't get the three points we deserved the performance was excellent it has given me hope and it hasn't been blurred by anything that's happened since because nothing's happened since on the pitch so on the pitch I'll go for Man United although Burnley is the game that produced what we need three points and we've got to get a few more then I'll go with Manchester United and I'll go with Ashley's uh, exhaust disappearing over the time bridge as as the greatest yeah. thrill I've had in the last 12 months yeah I mean obviously injuries aside that my United game was, was Newcastle's best performance a good, a good way to to end the year and yes before people at me and say you picked Burnley but I just felt the atmosphere in the stands was one of the first times Newcastle have been united as, as, as a fan base as a whole the Norwich game was excellent but for me it was there was something special about the whole every single stand every single person it's in James Park that, that, that day that afternoon when Newcastle did beat Burnley and get their first win and hopefully many more wins to come this season because goodness knows John Newcastle are going to need them to survive absolutely all that's left to do is to wish our listeners who've followed us over the last 12 months and we're very grateful for you for doing so is to wish you guys a very happy new year without a shadow of doubt I wish all of us everything we wish ourselves Um, and that is the 2022 is what we need and what Newcastle United and our fans deserve. There's absolutely no question about that. I have always used the phrase over the years, and if I've signed any books when I've done book signings, I always use the expression when I sign, keep the faith. And that is always in the dark days been my catchphrase. It is my catchphrase even more now because there's a chance that that faith will be justified. All the best for 2022. Keep the faith. We'll survive. We'll be there. And we won't care jot how people outside of Geordie Land see us. It's how we see us that matters. And we will be there.